0: please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Would you join me as I ask the Lord to guide our time in His Word? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before your presence today in the name of Jesus, to ask your help in understanding your word. We want to understand the big picture of the book of Psalms. We want to understand this particular psalm we will look at today. We want to understand how important the psalms are in our lives. And how you use these individual poems, these individual songs to not only build us up and equip us, but they provide for us the words to voice what's going on inside of us as we pray, as we praise. And so, Lord, we... We ask that today you would give us better understanding, that we might be better equipped to utilize the Word of God in our daily lives as we pursue a deeper relationship with you in greater conformity to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Well, as we are continuing in our expedition through Old Testament poetry, we want to today examine this book that is the largest and possibly most widely used book in all the Bible. It covers a full range of human emotions and expressions in a very personal and practical way. The word psalms in Hebrew means book of praise. In the Greek, it means poems sung to the accompaniment of musical instruments, particularly stringed and plucked instruments. In the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the writer introduces the book of psalms this way. In the 150 Psalms, the Holy Spirit has given us more than a book of Israel's prayer and praise. The book of Psalms is a cross-section of God's revelation to Israel and of Israel's response in faith to the Lord. The Psalms mirror the faith of Israel. In them, we receive windows that enable us to look out on our brothers and sisters in the faith of more than 2,500 years ago. The Psalms invite us to experience how God's people in the past related to him. The Psalms witness to the glory of Zion, to the Davidic covenant, to the fidelity of God, to the exodus and conquest traditions, to God as the creator, redeemer, and king, and to Yahweh as the divine warrior. We see an interplay of many different motifs and emphasis, which, when isolated, help us to understand better the Old Testament as a whole and its bearing on the New Testament. The book of Psalms is God's prescription to a complacent church because through it he reveals how great, wonderful, magnificent, wise, and utterly all inspiring God is. If God's people before the Incarnation could have such a faith in the lord witnessing to his greatness and readiness to help how much more should this be true among 21st century christians the book of psalms can re- revolutionize our devotional life our family patterns and the fellowship and the witness of the church of jesus christ he goes on to say this the book of psalms is the first and foremost of god's word uh, is first and foremost god's word to his people We hear the voice of God in each individual psalm through the many moods of the psalms and through the manifold themes of the entire Psalter. The purpose of the book of Psalms is the same as that of any other part of Scripture. The psalms are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. The book of Psalms is nevertheless unique. In it, God not only speaks to his people, he also encourages us to use the language of the psalms in our individual and communal prayers and praise. By applying these ancient psalms to a new situation, the life of faith, hope, and love of individual Christians and the Christian family and the church may be greatly enhanced. There are several different kinds of psalms, and they express different feelings and circumstances. But the common theme throughout the book of Psalms is that of worship. And we define worship, I define worship as uh, the uh, response of the heart toward God for who He is, for what He has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. And so worship is, is when we are, we are brought into um, an understanding of who God is through the Word of God, or what God has done, what God is in the process of doing, or what God has promised to do in the future. When we come to a realization of any of these things, in order to produce a response that starts in our heart, that is, is expressed often, most of the time, outwardly in some way. That is worship. And so when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we gather to worship. And so we want to uh, let the word of God be read so it gives us some truth to respond to. We want to have songs that tell us something about God or something about what God has done so that we can praise him in response to that truth as we acknowledge that. So that we together can worship the Lord. The psalms are really, as you see in your chart there at the, at the top of your, your handout, is really five books in one. And each book ends with a doxology. The last psalm is the closing doxology of book five, but it's also the closing doxology of the Psalter, the entire uh, 149 uh, psalms. The 150 is, is that benediction to the entire thing. After the Psalms were written, editorial superscriptions or uh, historical uh, remarks, if you will, were added to to each one, uh, to, to, to 116 of them. And these superscriptions are historically accurate and are even numbered as the first verses in the Hebrew Bible. So when you see... Uh, a little description there in, in smaller letters before verse 1 in our English Bible, that is actually part of the Hebrew Bible. You know, we have study Bibles, and so we have additional things in the Bible there, right? Each psalm has a heading and, and all these different things. And so we might think those were additional things. No, those are part of, those little descriptions, whether it's a psalm of David or whether it is to giving a historical context to the psalm, those are actually in the Hebrew Bible. In fact, they're verse 1 uh, of, of the Hebrew Bible. And so it's important for us to know those weren't just added many, many years later, but they were added right after the psalms were gathered together as part of the scriptures. Um, the other thing I want to say about psalms, and you'll see in a lot of psalms, is the word selah. You'll see that uh, after so many verses in, in some of these psalms. And What does that mean? And is it to be read when you read the psalms? Well, that, I guess, can be debated if you say the word when you're reading it, or whether you just understand what it's there for. A selah is most likely intended to, as you're reading it, to cause you to pause at that moment and kind of reflect on what has just been read, or what has just been sung, if it is, it is sung. It may be a reference musically to a musical interlude. Again, as an intended t- for us to pause, as we reflect on what was just, what's, what's just in the text. Um, or it may mean a, a musical crescendo of some kind. All of those things are intended to draw your attention back to what is just, been said or sung, to reflect on that. And so we see those selahs throughout the scripture, and that's the purpose of that. You also have in your notes there general categories of psalms, and I've just, there's five major ones that are identified. There are many subcategories in there. Some people have identified 11, 20, you know, different kinds of psalms. But you have hymns, which are psalms of praise. You have laments, which are prayers um, from either an individual or from a commun- the community of faith. And some have divided that up and said there's individual laments, there's communal lab- laments, and so on and so forth. Thanksgiving psalms, which are were, uh, uh, Israel's response or an individual's response to something God had done for them. Or some kindness from God. Um, Royal psalms, which refer to kings. There are messianic psalms that are royal psalms that refer to the king who was to come, the Messiah. There were wisdom psalms, instructions given in the psalm for wise and responsible living. And so, like I say, there were many subcategories underneath that. But just to kind of realize, as you're reading the psalms, some of them have different themes or, or different uh, categories. Also, I wanted to mention just a couple of things about the value for our individual lives. Uh, one is prayer. The Psalms provide for us actually the words that we can pray to God. One of the things that has tremendously helped me as well as Valerie in our particular uh, walk with God as individuals is, is praying scripture, praying psalms. To Just take a psalm. And as you read through verse by verse, you, you talk to God about, about what's going on there. It helps you to uh, get out of the rut. You know, Sometimes we get in a rut in our prayers. We say the same things. We're praying for the same people every day. Or, and, we're, and we're maybe repeating the same words. And we find ourselves just kind of going through that motion. Well, when you pray through different psalms each day, you have different words and different things you're going to talk to God about. It helps you to pray about the things that God says are important because it's his word and it, uh, it helps your prayers to be fresh and new each day and uh, guides you through uh, the, the different things that Israel prayed and the things that they praised God for. Um, second is praise. It, this was the, these book of Psalms was the hymnal, if you will, for the nation of Israel. It's what they sang to God in praise to him. And it also gives us, inspires us, if you will, to put our hope and our trust in God as we see the way individuals or the nation itself responded to God and His truth and the things God did. We we find great hope and encouragement in that because many of the things they went through parallel some of the things that we experience. And it provides for us the emotional and expressions of, of God's people then and how they responded to God in their the situations they went through and it gives us a way to be able to respond to God today. And it reminds us that the hope and the trust that we have in God just as they did. Well, I want to now draw your attention to a particular psalm that I think is helpful because it it provides for us some of the examples. Psalm 3, the example of a superscription. Um, It also has selahs in it. And uh, it helps us to, as we understand historically from the superscription, what David was experiencing while he wrote this, helps us to interpret the psalm properly and to understand how it then applies to our particular lives. We see there in the superscription, it says the Psalm of David, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. The context of this is found in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. We're not going to read that today, but let me just kind of give you a background. Basically, uh, David is the king at this point. His son Absalom uh, basically initiates a coup against his father. And he's out there basically politicking. And he's uh, winning over the hearts of the people of Israel. Unbeknownst to David, this is going on. And, uh, and once he gets a, a big enough following, um, they announce, you know, uh, long live King Absalom. And so David finds out about it, and David, David flees Jerusalem. And so Absalom comes, and David now is on the run, <clears throat> He leaves some spies in Jerusalem who will bring word to him and keep, him, uh, keep tabs on Absalom and, and let David know what's going on. But Absalom had garnered enough support, and now they were out pursuing David to take David's life so he could become the king without any threat of David, um, his father. And so while this is going on, uh, David prays this psalm. Of course, we know David's men finally did defeat Absalom and took Absalom's life. Absalom, actually, you know, he was, he was such a pretty boy, and he had long flowing hair, and his hair got caught in that tree, and he, he kind of was hanging there, and, uh, and uh, Joab, Joab stabbed him and killed him to death. But, uh, and so David was restored to his throne. Uh, but um, this psalm is David praying while he was experiencing this this conflict, this difficulty. And so I want to walk through the psalm, help you see what's going on here. They're basically uh, four sections, each two verses apiece. And we see uh, in this, not only the way David prayed, but it provides an example for us and how to pray. How, I want to make that connection, how we can take this psalm and apply it to where we are. And then at the end of our time, I want to I pray through the psalm, so you can hear uh, kind of an example of what it looks like to pray scripture. So we have, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, the lament to the Lord. This is, in the categories of the psalms, a lament psalm. It's a cry, an individual lament, a cry of David to God in the midst of this situation. So we see first of all the situation itself in verse 1. He says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Again, we know the context. Absalom and his and those who follow him, his army, are actually out there pursuing David. And so David's life is in jeopardy. He says my adversaries have increased Many are rising up against me. So what's the situation? (laughs) The problem he's facing is getting worse. Have you ever faced a situation that seems to be getting worse? No matter what you do, it seems to be getting worse, not better. Every time you try to do something that you think is right to remedy the situation, it gets worse. Well, you can identify with David here. You can actually pray through this psalm in the context of your problem that seems to be getting worse. That's the situation. And then we see in verse 2 the concern. David says, many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. They're saying, not even God can help David. The odds are so against him. You know, God's been there for him in the past. God elevated him to this position from being a shepherd boy to now a king of Israel. God helped him overcome the giant. But God can't even help him here. That's the, the way that people were speaking, the things that were being said. So the situation seems very bleak. Even, some would say, impossible. Again, have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever felt like things are never going to get better? Things can't, I mean, if I can't conceive of a way in which this is going to turn out good. doesn't seem to be any solution. That's the lament. That's the situation. That's the concern David, David is expressing here. And then we see that little, little word selah. Which means that you just need to stop for a moment and think about what David is experiencing. If you've ever been in a situation like that, you know this kind of situation can cause fear, can cause paralyzing fear in our hearts, in our lives. It can cause us to, to turn inward, to turn our eyes down, and, and only see the problem, and only focus on, on all the, the bad stuff that's happening. We lose sight. And then we come to verses 3 and 4, where David expresses the reality of the Lord. The reality of the Lord. He gives us four truths in these two verses about God that are so important for David to recognize, for us to recognize, especially when we are in what seems to be an impossible situation. It's because, you see, when we gaze too long at the problem or the enemy, it begins to appear overwhelming. But when we turn and gaze at God, the problem grows smaller as we understand the bigness of God. And so he says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. We see, first of all, that God is a shield he is a shield. David says, you are a shield about me. What does a shield do? What is a shield for? You don't need a shield when you're not in a battle. When the enemy's not coming against you, you don't need a shield. But when you're in a battle, you need a shield to protect you from the enemy's darts, the, 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 uh, the arrows, the the, the, the insults, the, the, the difficulties, whatever it is that's coming at you, you need a shield to protect you. You see, a shield is intended not to take you out of the battle. It's intended to keep you in the battle. Whether that's encouraging to you or not, I don't know. But God is going to be your shield. will keep you there in the battle. Most of the time we want to get out of it, right? We want some way out. But God has a purpose for you in this battle. And a purpose for David. And so David acknowledges that God is a shield to him. And so it's important for us to realize God doesn't always remove us from the battle. He doesn't always remove the problem. But he gives us the ability to fight. Secondly, he says, he is my glory. He is my glory. David had left Jerusalem. He had left the tabernacle. He had left the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, they they wanted to bring the Ark with him, and he says, no, take it back. It belongs in Jerusalem. And I think what David is saying here is that no matter where he is, God is with him. God is his glory. God is the center of his worship. No matter what, no matter where he is, no matter what the problem is, he knew that God was with him and he acknowledges that God is at the center of who of what's going on. He is the center of his worship. His focus is on God. What a great reminder to us when we're in the midst of the battle, when, we're, when our eyes are, are tend to be focused on the problem, to remember it's about God and to lift our eyes to God and say, you are the center of my worship. I keep my eyes on you. It's about you, God. It's not about me. It's not about this problem. It's about you. This is where David is at. And then thirdly, he says, he lifts my head. Right? Literally, Right, we're looking down at the problem. God lifts our head, so we see. So we're looking up. We're seeing Him in all His glory. He gives us perspective in the midst of the problem. We're able to see circumstances from a very different perspective. We're able to see what we're walking through at this moment, what's happening to us. We're able to see it now with a different point of view. That's what God does. He lifts our head. He gives us an eternal perspective. David didn't know how this was going to turn out. He didn't know if he would lose his life in this. He didn't know if, if in God's providential plan you know, that, that this was all going to unfold in a way that did not benefit him as, well as he, how he would see things. But he knew this. He knew God was his shield. He knew God was the, his glory. And he knew God was the lifter of his head. And the fourth thing he knew was that God answers his prayer. I cried to the Lord with my voice. He answered me from his holy mountain. You know, sometimes when we're going through difficult things, we forget to pray about it. We're going through it, we're living it, and we're we're experiencing all the emotions and all the things about it. But sometimes we forget to cry out to God in the midst of it, to cry out for his assistance. so he says he hears my prayer and he answers my prayers and the emphasis i think is on the voicing of that prayer and god's character as one who answers when we cry to him some have made a, a kind of a big deal about the fact that david voiced his his prayer that he's talking about actually praying out out loud i don't i don't know i want to make a huge deal about it, but I know I have found that it's very helpful for me to pray out loud. That's why it's, I, I like to be alone when I pray. Um, because it, you know yeah we can, we can talk to God in a quiet voice in our head. Uh, you know but may, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but I, I can get distracted very easily there. And I can my brain can go off on some other things uh, while I'm in the middle of talking to God I start daydreaming about something else. I start thinking about my, you know, what's going on over here. And so when I'm praying out loud, it helps me to stay focused. It's a practical thing. But David voiced his prayer to God. He lifted it up. He cried out. And God heard him. <clears throat> then we have another Selah. Right? Again, just to pause and reflect on these things. That David is reflecting on the reality of the Lord. And then thirdly, we see the confidence in the Lord. What's the one thing that happens to us when when we're in the midst of a problem that's creating fear and anxiety and worry? We have a hard time sleeping. we, We lay awake at night and we think about the problem. And we think about every scenario that could possibly go wrong. And we think about how we're going to respond to every one of those situations. Or or if we have a a difficult conversation we have to have with somebody, we think about everything that they might say and everything we're going to say in response. and, And none of that ever happens in reality. But we find ourselves consumed by it. What does David say? He said, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Tens of thousands of people are after David. And he laid down and went to sleep out in the wilderness, wherever he was, knowing full well they very well may find him at night. But he laid down and slept and woke the next morning. Why? Because he trusted God. And so we see in verse 5 a demonstration of trust. He slept. He was able to trust God enough to not worry while he was falling asleep. Again, this is simply a practical issue, a demonstration of our trust. We can say, yeah, I trust the Lord, but I can't sleep because I can't stop thinking about this thing. Well, that's a demonstration of not trusting God in that. We give it over to him. We ask him for sleep, and we, again, focus our mind on who God is, not on the problem. And then we have, secondly, the declaration of trust where he says in verse 6, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. And maybe David has to tell himself that so that he wouldn't be afraid. (laughs) And maybe you and I need to tell ourselves that. I will not let this circumstance, this person, this situation, I will not let this cause fear in me. I will not be afraid. Trust the Lord. No matter where it is, I will not be afraid. This is an overwhelming situation. Many believe there was no deliverance for him in God. His confidence was in the Lord. And lastly, the salvation from the Lord. Seven and eight. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to Yahweh, to the Lord. Thy blessing be upon thy people. This is the content of the prayer. He says he prayed before, but here we see what the content of the prayer is. What are the people saying? Verse 2, no deliverance for him and God. David says, God, you are my deliverance. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they think. I don't care if they're all saying that. My trust and confidence is in you. You are my deliverer, and I look to you. Arise, O Lord, and save. Most of the time we see the the phrase, Arise, O Lord, in Scripture, it's a battle cry. David knows this is a battle, and God, you are the one who fights this battle for me, so arise, O Lord, and save. He instructed his own men not to kill Absalom, who was his enemy at the moment, but it was his son. He says to the Lord, you arise and you save. This is your battle, and I trust you will do what is right. You fight for me. So we see that content of his prayer, and then we see the confidence of his prayer. Salvation, verse 8, belongs to the Lord. It's his work. This is his battle, and he's the one who fights it. And I trust that deliverance will come from him. And then I love the desire that David expresses. He says to the Lord, may your blessing rest, not on himself, but on his people, God's people. This is the true shepherd king who even in the midst of of this intense battle that was directed at him specifically and personally. His prayer was that God's blessing would be upon the people. What a great uh, heart of a, a shepherd leader that David had. So this provides for us in these eight verses a wonderful way to pray. When we are in a difficult battle situation that doesn't seem to be, it seems to be getting worse, not better, it seems to be rather impossible for us to pray this psalm. And What I want to do now is just conclude our time by praying this psalm uh, and I'll, I'll pray this uh, in regards to our nation. You know, our, our nation is so divided right now. And, and so much misinformation, so much lack of leadership. Um, and, and quite frankly, look at this situation and say, will it ever, will it ever get better? As the tide turns so much, is the spiritual darkness so dark? Are there too many people who've already given themselves over to a, a, a reprobate mind that will never see anything turn around? Let me pray this psalm for our nation. O oh Lord, how our adversaries have increased. How this problem has gotten so bad just in our lifetime we've seen so much happen lord we are we are in a moment right now where there are protesters going on protests going on right now much of which based on misinformation about this decision that was made Much of it is driven by fear of the loss of freedoms, driven by anger. God, as David acknowledged, many are saying there's no deliverance in God. Many are, are coming against organizations like PMI and others and churches that hold a pro-life perspective and and are actually working to minister to people in this regard. There are organizations out there that have determined to cause destruction and threaten lives of people who promote a pro-life agenda who simply want to help people see the truth and live it. And God, as we look and we watch things on the news and on media outlets, we see it, it seems that this world is just, it's not going to ever turn around. So, God, we face this difficult situation. Lord, you say, or David says that, Lord, you are a shield. You are our glory. You are the one who lifts our head. We look to you, God. Lord, give us that shield of protection as we face what could be dangerous situations. If we are bold enough to take a stand in our conversations or to be part of ministries that are very public about saving life rather than taking it. We need your protection, Lord. PMI needs your protection. Not only the facilities, but the, the workers. So we ask you would be a shield. That you would keep us looking up. Lift our heads and may we see you as the center of our worship. May we continue to worship you no matter what's going on in this world no matter what division is happening, God, that we would keep our eyes on you, that you would give us perspective. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the one, when we cry out to you with our voice, you answer. You answer. Thank you that you are a God who hears and answers prayer. Hear us, O God. Answer us. According to your will and your word. And, Lord, may we be able, like David, to lay down and sleep at night to find our hope and our trust in the living God, the mighty warrior who is Yahweh. May our trust be so rooted in You that we are able to lay down and sleep knowing that You are the one that sustains us. And Lord, when we, when we look at, the again, the uncertainty moving toward ne- the next election, and, and Lord, if we, if we begin to put all of our hope in an election, in, in, in elected officials, rather than in you, Lord, it will cause fear in us. But, God, may we keep our eyes on you. May we be able to rest in the knowledge that you are indeed in control of all things. We do our part, but we trust you, and you will do yours. And, God, may you give us a spirit of faith and of self-discipline, of love, not of fear. And may we be able to say, as David, arise, O Lord. And save, deliver us. For salvation belongs to the Lord. Lord, just as you've been faithful in our, in our lives up to this point, you will continue to be faithful moving forward. And we can trust you. And So we acknowledge to you, God, that you are our salvation. That deliverance belongs to the Lord. And God, may you bless your people. May You bless Your people that we would stand firm in the blessing of God that we would hold to the truth in a gracious and loving way. And through our lives and through the love that we have and the, the stand that we take, we might win some to Jesus that You would be glorified Father, thank you for the joy and privilege it is to pray for the truth of your word that gives us the words to pray. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that enlightens the truth to us. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that is A way to pray through the scriptures. I hope that encourages you and uh, helps you to utilize this this incredible book that God has given us uh, to to lift our praise and our prayers to God. I'm going to invite you to to stand now as we sing together our closing song which is I Am Thine O Lord. This is a prayer to music uh, that allows us to pray that prayer to him. Let's let's do that together. <coughs> <coughs>